0: On this episode of AvTalk, we discuss Southwest Airlines' very bad weekend, what started it, and how social media just made everything worse. Plus, Air India has a new owner. Hello, and welcome to episode 133 of AvTalk. I am Ian Pechnik here, as always, with Jason Urbenowitz. Hello, Ian. How's it going? Hello, Jason. Uh, it's going well. How are you, sir? I'm
1: good. I'm taking the next couple days off and going to look at some trees for a while. So, that'll
0: be nice. I feel like there's more to it than just kind of looking. Are you going leaf peeping? No, but I'm sure I'll see some leaves. Oh, so this is not a... Uh... This is not a leaf peeping trip. You're not going to no, actually look at this. There will just be trees where you are. There will be trees. Are. Yes. I, I
1: am Got it. retreating out of New York City for a couple of days, and there will happen to be some trees
0: around. Well, that sounds good. I mean, I thought maybe there was something special about these particular trees. Maybe you were going to go, well, oh, no, it's not spring, so you wouldn't be making maple syrup. I don't know what you would be doing with the trees. Wait, I thought I, maple I syrup assumed. was the fall. That's spring? Well, you tap them in the spring. Oh, okay. Sure. And then the whole pumpkin thing, I guess, is the sure a little fall, a little whatever. too early
1: in the year, at least this far south to see any really truly pretty trees. I guess still too.
0: Well, I wish you the best in your uh, tree viewing. Thank you. It's turned into an odd arboreal podcast introduction, but here we are. It was, it was bound to happen eventually. Eventually, I mean, eventually, you end up in the woods. So let's talk about the elephant in the industry at the moment. It's Wednesday, the 13th of October. And over the past five or so days, Southwest Airlines has had A rough, rough time. And they seem to, to now be getting back, back on their way with few cancellations finally today. Tuesday was better, but not great. And today seems to be, they seem to be back to normal. But over the weekend, it was anything but. Yeah.
1: So we've seen this several times in the past, I don't know, six months. We saw it with American. We saw it with Spirit. We saw it once before this summer with Southwest, actually, when they had some sort of IT issues that lasted several days and really handicapped the operation. But this one really seemed to be the most impactful and the most... uh, Questionable, really, since Southwest really did not initially come clean to what the true issue was at hand. And they initially blamed this cascading, I'm going to call it a system failure, on weather and air traffic control problems in Florida. But weather and air traffic control problems in Florida on Friday shouldn't mean you're running. Only about 70% of your operation on Sunday. So the the numbers just didn't add up. And it led to a lot of speculation, both valid and completely crazy, unacceptably damaging, wrong speculation.
0: Yeah. So let's back up to Friday. The Precipitating factors that Southwest mentioned were all valid. That they were actually sure. happened. So what happened was is Southwest was the impact on Southwest was oversized compared to other airlines based on their traffic into and out of Florida. There were thunderstorms in Florida. There was a, a staffing issue, a temporary staffing issue at the Jacksonville in route center. In Florida. And the weather issues and the staffing issues were made worse by the fact that there was a military training exercise taking place off the, the eastern seaboard that closed some of the airspace to commercial traffic that would have been used for overflow to get around the weather that was impacting Florida. So flights coming up and down the eastern seaboard couldn't use certain airspace because of the the military training exercises and so you ended up with with longer reroutes and ground stops and ground delay programs and, and all sorts of not fun stuff happening to all of the airlines that are trying to get in and out of Florida. The other airlines that were impacted by this, namely American and Spirit having the highest number of of flights into and out of Florida specifically, their operations were not impacted beyond basically midday Saturday after all of this. Southwest, on the other hand, continued to have major, major problems throughout the weekend And Their stated rationale throughout the weekend was basically weather, and then they started just blaming the air traffic control problems, even though that was the beginning factor, but didn't really account for why Southwest was still having such trouble. Yeah. I
1: likened it to basically weather and air traffic control being the fuse that lit the dynamite that was packed with understaffing, overscheduling, fatigue by frontline staff, and then it just hit a point where the whole thing exploded and came undone. And This is pretty much exactly what we saw with Spirit a couple months ago, where they overreached, they overscheduled, their crews were overstressed, and it got to the point where flights ended up getting canceled, crews were displaced, aircraft were displaced, and they just couldn't keep track of where the planes were compared to where the crews were, and they couldn't make that link between getting the crews to the aircraft to operate the flights, which is what Southwest is basically saying, and then it took them days to really put all those pieces back together. Now, Southwest seems to have put the pieces back together and gotten a somewhat respectable operation faster than Spirit did a few months ago, but comparing Southwest to Spirit is not
0: something you would have thought you'd have to do just a few years ago. Well, especially given the fact that Spirit's business model is based on everything has to go right, or at least... Ah, the old Norwegian model. Yeah, I mean, yeah, and and we've talked about this. How uh, I think you personally have been impacted by that, and so you know, the, the spirits model being based on everything has to go right southwest. Normally, there's a bit more slack in the system but now southwest system was stressed beyond breaking and and we saw what happens this weekend when you don't have the crews you need where you need them and when you need them because a lot of this was bumping up against you know okay so now we have planes out of position crews out of position but we also don't have any legally allowable hours for crews to fly those planes back to where we need them to be
1: Right, And this is something Southwest unions have actually been barking about quite loudly and quite correctly, it seems, over the past couple of months that they, they have been overscheduled and overworked and overstressed, and the operation is going to come crumbling apart, and lo and behold, this past weekend, they were completely correct.
0: Yeah. yeah. And I suppose we should touch on why this became a story, I think, outside of the aviation bubble, if we want to call it. And, and you touched on this kind of in the introduction to, to what we were talking about is there was a lot of speculation by, I don't even call it speculation. It was just kind of unfounded rumor
1: mongering. It wasn't even rumor mongering. It was completely false and incorrect information being touted as absolute indisputable fact.
0: Yeah, I mean, the first places I saw it was well, a source inside, you know, a source I have inside Southwest. Oh, you have a source inside Southwest, Mister at XYZ one two seven six five four with four followers and a Twitter account created eight minutes ago. Interesting.
1: Yeah. Weird. It turns out the ramper you know at Chicago Midway, who doesn't actually know anything outside of their own operation, probably isn't the best source for what's going on at the I FAA mean, Center in Jacksonville.
0: Yeah. So What's really funny to me, not funny in a haha ha way, but funny in a, oh, that's how conspiracy theories work sort of way. The whole thing, the first bit of disinfo began with the controller's are revolting against being required to be vaccinated against COVID. And then, when that got shot down by the controllers' union, the FAA, and pretty much anyone who would know whether or not that was correct, it moved on to, oh, well, it's the Southwest pilots who are revolting and there's a work action. And the Southwest pilots were like, no, we're just being overworked. This has nothing to do with vaccines at all. This has everything to do with the fact that,, you know, say we need 1,000 pilots, we've got not 1,000 pilots. Or if we need you know, 2,000 flight attendants, we don't have 2,000 flight attendants. They're not scheduling enough people, we don't have enough people. And it just kind of jumped until ran out of steam, and then everyone was like, "Oh, well, OK, it, it was uh, operational issues." And I don't think it was helped by the fact that Southwest, over the weekend, continued to say that it was air traffic control and weather issues.
1: Southwest, in the week following, so Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, up until this point, has been very vocal since then that none of those rumors were true. It was a staffing issue triggered by the bad weather and ATC issues in Florida. And An interesting stat from Gary Kelly, that actually half of all Southwest aircraft Touch Florida at least once a day, which is very interesting. And I did not know that. I don't know about you. So, Southwest does have a huge oversized presence in Florida, but it took them far too long to really explain that no, these rumors are categorically false to the point where on Sunday, a day you normally wouldn't see much happening from a bureaucracy like the FAA, but they took to social media to explicitly refute the rumors that were happening, not quite mentioning Southwest directly by name, but basically saying, hey, we had some issues on Friday, but all of our data is open to the public. Nothing happened on Saturday and Sunday. So any of these issues that are happening, they ain't our fault. Some airlines continue some to have Some airlines issues. are continuing to have issues. I wonder who that may be. I have no Matt. idea who they were talking about. That is as close as you'll ever see a federal regulator throwing a company
0: under the bus in a Whoa. non non-regulatory hearing. I mean, I don't think that was I don't think it was the FAA throwing Southwest under the bus. I think it was the FAA crawling out from under the bus and then trying to toss Southwest back under. Because Southwest, I mean, had basically been relying on this, you know, it's the air traffic control and weather's fault. And I know that when, you know, people look at the weather and say, Well, it's it's not raining here, we can take off. This is different. Because yes, there were weather issues, but then the damage had already been done and instead of saying we're doing the best we can we've got you know some operational challenges or however you want to word that and we're doing the best we can to get everyone on their way as soon as possible you have you know the airline continuing to say well it's the air traffic controller's fault it's the air traffic controller's fault it's the air traffic controller's fault and i think the faa rightfully said We And this happens sometimes, I I think, during storms and things like that, where the FAA goes, the FAA does not cancel flights. Airlines cancel flights. That's always their line that they use anytime there's weather or anything like that, and people complain. But I think that's important to remember here, is that the FAA is not the – they're not out there saying, well, you can't run these flights. They're just saying, you got to run them eight hours from now. Yeah. So, it'll be – You know, it'll be interesting to see kind of how how this shakes out as far as what communication comes from from airlines in in the future and what communication. Is this the start of better communication from the FAA? Because this seems like a very different tone from the FAA than we've seen in the past.
1: Yeah. In the past, it's typically been, here's the information, here are the delays, here's what's happening, get to the airport accordingly. This was very much, hey, this isn't our fault. Uh, there were issues They're resolved. You should probably look to the airline as uh, it's probably their fault right now.
0: Yeah, I don't see this as the beginning of an adversarial relationship. At least, I certainly hope it's not, because I don't think that would serve anyone's interest, least of all the the people who need to rely on both the FAA and airlines to get them where they need to go. But I thought it was good that the FAA kind of stood up for the air traffic controllers, and it wasn't just kind of the the air traffic controllers union sticking up for the controllers, but it was the FAA itself. Let's stick with a, a similar topic that interestingly comes at, at at a right time. The US Department of Transportation Inspector General is beginning an investigation or, or study that will seek to ensure that there is adequate staffing in critical air traffic control facilities. You would think that this would already be well taken care of, the air traffic control critical facilities being a critical part of you know the United States' national infrastructure. But talking to air traffic controllers, especially, you would know that that is not the case. And a lot of air traffic controllers that that are on social media over the past weekend basically said, "Yeah, staffing's a problem." it's been a problem for a long time. This is not a new thing. We've been saying this for years. So Whether the IG report actually develops into some real change as far as perhaps hiring additional air traffic controllers or expanding these facilities somehow, it'll be good to see them acting in the right direction, I think. Yeah. I love a
1: good investigation to tell you what you already know. (laughs) Yeah. This is, it's not even a completely- obvious problem. Everyone knows about it, but it's like you said, it's also been a thing for decades at this point. Uh, I mean, as long as I've been involved in the industry, there's been a maybe not a a shortage of controllers, but clearly not enough to the point where now I believe controllers aren't doing mandatory six-day work weeks, which is not great for anyone. That shouldn't be a thing that anyone has to do. Hopefully the FAA doesn't just take this report and say, yeah, okay, thanks. Hopefully they Hire some more people. This is a good job that people should want to do. It pays well. Hopefully, something actually changes and there's more, I guess, more staffing at the FAA controller wise. So things like what we saw in
0: Florida don't happen again. Yeah. I mean, it's like you said, it hopefully turns into real action on behalf of the FAA. But uh, I guess we'll wait for the audit to come out and, and see where that goes. Let us now go halfway across the world. All the way to India because there is now a new owner, well, old owner, but new again. Wait, of Air India. No, someone bought Air India. Someone bought Air India. Was the, it you? Uh, it was not me. My bid was far too low. As it turns out, a uh, radio flyer wagon and a pack of chewing gum did not get the job done. Ah, you needed two chewing gum packs. I, uh, you know, next time, next time. Well, we'll see what happens. The Tata Group has won its bid for Air India, and they are set to take over the airline, it's looking to close the deal by the end of the year, and it'll be interesting to see what they do. So Air India is basically an international airline as far as what slots they have and where they fly competitively. Should we say? So that'll be interesting to see how they develop their competitive market within India. So Tata already owns the it's fifty one percent. Sorry, I was getting my numbers mixed up, and I knew that wasn't right. Fifty one percent of Vistara, which is their joint venture with Singapore Airlines, and they own eighty four percent of Air Asia India. So they've basically adding a another airline to their. They're already pretty hefty portfolio but this opens up a lot of international flying that they can do especially with the fleet that Ariadne has with the triple sevens uh the seven eight seven and they still have one seven four seven hanging around yeah uh,
1: so, so we'll see there was some information uh, some very interesting information posted to Twitter from the Indian aviation sphere which is quite active obviously in the wake of this deal but there's a lot of baggage that's coming along with Air India and really highlights the managerial malfeasance and deferred maintenance that Air India had been perpetuating for for probably a decade or more but Tata is going to have to refinance all of its debt, its aircraft titles, uh, its contracts with lessors, suppliers, vendors, everyone. This report, I think it's from uh, Business Standard says that uh, the maintenance contracts on its fairly new, still 787s are, are lopsided, that they're paying way higher than average figures for maintenance on those 787s. At least five of them are actually grounded due to engine or other part shortages. Most of the 787 fleet is due for very expensive and time-consuming landing gear overhauls in two years. Two of the 777s are found not to be fit to fly at all. The remaining, if you know anything about Air India, need to be completely refurbished top to bottom because they are, um, let's call it not competitive in any way, so they have a lot of work to do to get Air India from not even up to a respectable airline, but, but a functional airline with a fleet that actually is capable of mostly flying. It's going to take a long time and a lot of money to get that happen, to get that
0: to happen right. Yeah, I... you're not wrong. I think one of the other problems is that they have to keep everybody around for at least a year, and then they have to not fire people but try to politely ask them to go by giving them money and that's I think that 's you know a major challenge as well is, is the, the labor issues you 've got a lot of people who you might not need, especially if you have another full service airline and another low cost carrier. And are you looking to merge these two? Is there going to be, you know, it, it does No, Vistara... they said
1: explicitly, no, they will not be commingling Air India and Vistara because one brand is premium and is commingled with Singapore.
0: The other is Air India. Sure. But if you rehab the Air India brand, doesn't it eventually make sense to merge them? Mm,
1: if I were Singapore, I wouldn't want the stink of Air India anywhere near me.
0: Fair enough. The whole thing doesn't make any sense. Why anyone would want it is still beyond me. What Tata does with it, I think, is going to be a very interesting thing to watch because if they can rehab Air India, if they can be successful, that is, I mean, it's a huge market. And so if they can play it right, if they can get their fleet in order, if they can do what A governmentally run Air India couldn't do. I think that'll be, you know, that'll be a fascinating success story. And I wish them all the best.
1: Yeah. Good luck. Uh, I'm sure they know what they're getting into, but
0: good luck with that. (laughs) But good luck. Also wishing good luck to Banza. Ooh. uh a and know that's what I heard please explain what that uh, is. I cannot explain yet and and I will start by mentioning that uh, our Australian colleague Galen, who has appeared on the podcast in the form of correctly pronouncing Australian words that we could not the first time around, his initial comment was i can't tell if this is a brilliant idea or a terrible one. We'll have to wait and see. So, what the idea is is a low-cost carrier for the Australian market. Bonza is looking to launch by the not beginning of next year, but early next year, and they're going to be. An ultra low-cost carrier model for secondary cities and less served regional cities in Australia. So they're kind of looking for like a EasyJet Ryanair ish model, and then focus on leisure destinations. So I guess it's like a Tui plus Ryanair plus EasyJet model. But in any case, they're going to forego all of the. The stuff that you would normally get with an airline, and they give you a chair to sit in and a plane to ride in, and then you're on your way. So, with point to point service. Yeah. So, you know, uh, it'll be interesting to see what happens. Their plan is to use uh, 737 MAX eights. And so that'll be an interesting way to go. And you'll see them around at the beginning of next year. And if anyone flies them, please let us know what they are like. This should yeah. be an interesting one. I think they had mentioned, or maybe I'm incorrect
1: here, but I think they mentioned that they're like the first real new low cost carrier in Australia to fly 737s. But that also discounts Rex, which actually I don't think is flying the 737 right now because of lockdown issues in Australia but it's an interesting time down under for new and expanded low-cost carriers giving something Australia really hasn't had in the past.
0: Yeah, I mean and this would be an unowned by a larger company. And so that would be one of kind of the the first things that they're touting. They're not Qantas owned, they're not Virgin owned, they're they would be their own owned so that'll be a an interesting thing to see how well they do there and then we've got uh fiji ready to put the max back into service in december that'll touch on australia because that'll be one of the destinations that fiji airways is going to be flying with their maxes so they announced that this week and that adds to the nearly complete but still very conspicuous absence of certain regions that have yet to approve the seven three seven max. So we'll, we'll see how that goes. Who's left, other than
1: obviously China, who you're alluding to there? There's China and, mm-hmm. and Russia. Who else is out there that has not re the max yet?
0: Oh, uh, that's a
1: really good question. I know but there's I, one I, I in, in, in down in Africa. What is it like? Air Mauritania
0: had one. Who knows what they're doing? I think they're back in service. Are they? I think so. Oh, good for them. I will double check. I think they're back in service. That's an interesting list that I'm going to have to pull and see who's still not flying the Max. We'll have to talk about that next episode. But for right now, let's take a quick break. And when we come back, we'll talk about a job that neither Jason nor I are qualified for, but sounds really great. And we'll talk about how we're not moving to Texas. But if you are moving to Texas and you have a bunch of money, You might want to check this house out. So we'll be right back. Welcome back. And there is a job opening that neither Jason nor I are qualified for. Not uh, even close. (laughs) But it's a really cool job. And if you happen to be listening to this podcast and you are qualified, you should really apply. Jason, tell them what they want. Yeah. So we talked to Sean Payne a few months ago about what he does at the
1: NTSB in regards to listening to not just aircraft flight and voice data recorders, but also from other vehicles, I guess, boats and helicopters and cars and trucks. And they are hiring in that division. Um, the official name of the title is interdisciplinary engineer slash computer scientist bracket vehicle recorder specialist close bracket. So it's a very nice title. It is a full time position down in Washington DC. Sorry, no work, no remote work is possible for this, since you'll be, you know, I'd imagine working with actual recorders. If you want to work with Sean, and it sounds like it could be a very interesting job, I won't get into it, but some of the details are providing engineering advice on vehicle recorders and one or more modes of transportation, performing vehicle recorder investigations as a group chairperson in a technically competent and thorough manner with supervision and mentoring from more senior NTSB staff. So basically, you will be in the department that, as I understand it, handles the vehicle recorders post accident, crash, incident, whatever. And If you are into it and you have the requisite background, education, and prior work history, this could be a very interesting position, but you have to apply by November 9th and you have to apply correctly because if you do not provide it in the format expected, usajobs.gov will promptly disregard your information.
0: How dare it. How dare dare someone not file the proper formatting is more like it. Well, there's that. We will put a link in the show notes to the job description and the application. Hopefully, someone out there is going, yeah, that sounds like a lot of fun. I would like to do that. and You enjoy a uh, a wonderful career as a vehicle recording specialist.
1: Yes. That can be a lot of fun and probably a lot of
0: work, good rewarding (laughs) work. Good rewarding work. So I was vaccinated in a store for COVID. I, I went to a store. I, I stood in line for a little bit, and that was that. Jason, I, I assume you you probably got the same thing. But I went to a building. building. There you go. Yeah, in, down the street, the, a medical building. Yeah. It was great. Hey, look at that. Yeah. But uh, there are some folks in New Zealand this weekend that are going to have a much better, as far as I'm concerned, backdrop for their vaccination. and all these people who waited are getting all the good stuff. <laughs> that's the yeah I mean really, some people got paid, other people get to go sit on a 787 so Air New Zealand has a special vaccination clinic happening this coming weekend that will take place aboard one of its seven eight sevens and I thought that was a, a really cool thing to do and, and especially to uh you know to kind of you know encourage people to to go and get vaccinated I thought that was a, a really good idea and I won't be taking advantage of it mostly because I've already really been vaccinated you, you and won't I'm be taking advantage of the, of the new uh, Ze-
1: the new zealand vaccination program.
0: I have not invented a teleportation device yet. I'm still Damn. working on it. I'm missing a few parts, but that is something that if you are in New Zealand, uh, you you Good should for you. you should check that out. Yeah, this is
1: a step just above what Delta was doing where they had their mass vaccination center in the uh, Delta Flight Museum, basically right underneath the 767, which is awesome. This is a step above since you actually get to go on the airplane. People will board through the door and do business premiere. You'll receive your one dose of the Pfizer vaccine in the arm of your choice, which is Nice. Well, at least they um, give you a choice. <laughs> you want it in the right or the left? It's your choice. Then you will move into the economy cabin where a snack service will commence while you wait to disembark the aircraft after your observation period. So Not only are you getting your vaccination, but you're getting a free snack. Wow. How about that? I want to know what that snack is. Does Air New Zealand have like a signature snack like Delta has its Biscoff and United has its Stroopwafel?
0: I don't know. The next time I can fly Air New Zealand, I will just to find that out. Great. All right. So we've got into the middle of October. We now have. Order and delivery numbers from the major manufacturers. Unhelpfully, I guess they break them out differently. And Jason decided that the math just wasn't good enough to do. So we're going to do Boeing's third quarter deliveries and Airbus's monthly deliveries. Jason, take it away.
1: Yeah, math isn't my strong suit. And I just don't have the time to break it out right now because we only decided we're going to do this during the break. But in the third quarter, 2021, Boeing delivered. Uh, 85 aircraft, mostly 7.3 max. If we're being honest, which would be 66 max, bringing it to 179 total for the year. Two 747, I don't know who those went to, but I'm assuming UPS. They're cargo. All UPS at this point. Yeah, eleven 767s, which maybe also UPS. FedEx, FedEx, <laughs> and six triple sevens, which I'm just going to assume is cargo at this point, right? Uh Yes. And the last 300 ER to somebody. I don't remember who. Is it Aeroflot? Aeroflot. Yeah, that sounds right. Aeroflot. I think that was it. And still, up until this point that this data was released, next to the third quarter 787 deliveries is a dash, meaning none. They did not successfully deliver any 787s in the third quarter. So their year to date total remains at 14 great, right, but that may be changing soon we'll see in the next couple of weeks meanwhile on the airbus side we only have the numbers for september 2021 i could put the numbers together for all of third quarter but i don't want to so here's september 4 a32300s 20 a320neos 1 a321co which went to delta so they're actually still delivering some co aircraft Nine A321 NEOs, one a three thirty two hundred, which I assume is an MRTT to some government, three three thirty nine hundred NEOs, one including to Air Belgium, which I think is their first, and two 350 Shockingly there were no A380s still covered.
0: Yes, shockingly.
1: Shocking, but a good healthy spread of aircraft from Airbus,
0: I'm a little surprised there were no A350-1000s in that list. There's a couple that are getting ready to go home that we saw in, in Toulouse that, that looked like they were finishing up their pre-delivery testing. So I would assume that they'll be part of the October monthly tally when we get that next month. Yeah, uh, there you have it. The the
1: A320neo is really, really still delivering quite strongly. I was surprised actually that the the 320 had so had more than double the uh, amount of deliveries in the 321neo, which I thought was a more popular aircraft at this point, but I guess not.
0: I think as far as orders go, I mean, that's certainly the case. Deliveries, I think we we haven't caught up with the deliveries yet. Yeah. You'll you'll start to see that in in, in a few years. Let's close the show with a little real estate news. So, Jason apparently. Has a few million laying around. I wish you would have told me sooner. We could have done something with that, Jason. But you have started real uh, house hunting in, in Austin, Texas, for some reason, and came across a uh, a rather interesting home. So it's brought to my attention that there is a
1: house in the northwestern suburbs of Austin, Texas, currently listed for $4.25 million, recently reduced by $250,000 actually, that has a theater room that is completely designed in aircraft interior specifications, basically. It has the sidewall of, I'm not sure what aircraft that is. It looks like it might be a seven- 37 I'm not quite sure and the seats pulled out from a the first class seats from a Delta L1011 it's got three rows of seats and a nice projector and I can't afford a 4.25 million dollar house nor can you I imagine but if you are looking for a house in uh, Austin Texas and have a couple million to drop and you like airplanes this looks like a pretty good choice
0: I mean you really can't go wrong with an airplane themed movie room, but but can you only show airplane movies? Oh, of course. You have, to, you have to, you know, this movie has been modified and formatted to fit your screen.
1: Yeah. It's only going to be presented in like fuzzy SD and you're going to have to watch a few commercials from Delta before you actually watch the movie,
0: but it'll be worth it. <laughs> or like the, what was the, a few years ago, the American All those NBC shows uh, that that had the commercials. The the worst.
1: (laughs) The worst. You're only allowed to watch season five, episode nine of that stupid show in the Walmart knockoff.
0: (laughs) Well, if you've got, you know, a little over four million just laying around, go for it. And And then put it on Airbnb. Put it on Airbnb so we can go for a night. There you go. Problem solved. <laughs> this this has been episode 133 of Av Talk. I am Ian Pechnik here, as always, with Jason Rabinowitz. Thanks for listening.